0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Own Your Truth. This is Brianna Johnson, the hostess. If you are currently listening to this episode, we are on part two of Tips and Tricks for Effective Communication with Our Youth. We are still working on our contest for our United States listeners through the month of September. Try to boost the number of listeners in your state by referring the podcast to Family, friends, co workers, and neighbors. And as they begin to listen, then the numbers in your state increase. At the end of September, the state who has the most numbers will be able to ask uh, questions for a QA session that I will be holding during one of the podcasts. So if you're interested in asking, some questions for me to answer. Um, I would encourage you to see who you know that might be interested in the podcast. I'm also still looking for those listeners who would like to be supporters of the channel. You can do that by clicking on the Own Your Truth homepage for whatever platform that you're listening on and become a monthly sustainer. And the amounts range from $0.99 cents a month up to $9.99 a month. And I appreciate any and all help. Thank you so much for those of you who are already supporting me. If you haven't been on the website lately, Johnson, I encourage you to look at that. It's soon to have a little bit of a facelift where I add products and services that you guys can hopefully utilize. So yesterday, we talked about a few tips and tricks. I tried to focus primarily on babies and toddlers, but there were some takeaways in there for children that were older and even teenagers and and young adults. Today, we're going to focus primarily on grade school. I'm sorry, on grade school age children. And of course, I'll probably shift a little bit between the age groups, but it's primarily supposed to be for what we implement and practice with our children during this time. And this is a large, you know, span of, of ages. So take it with a grain of salt. A lot of it will depend on your child's maturity level and what they can and can't understand. And that actually brings me to a very valid point, Because sometimes as parents, we come up with this conflict of how much information is too much information. For example, we've got a seven-year-old and and mom's about to have a baby. How much information do we tell the seven-year-old? And the answer is you tell them what they can understand. You don't ever lie to your children about such things like the birds and the bees, because eventually, guess what? They find out the truth. Uh, The same thing with pets dying and family members dying or, you know, divorces, that sort of thing. It's important to tell your children the truth, but you do not have to necessarily tell them everything. Their little brains cannot process everything. And you can, you know, bring that subject up later, or they may even bring it up later when they're a little bit older and they have additional questions. So answer the questions that they have and tell them the information that they need based on their age and their maturity level. And that varies from child to child. Another thing that you want to get into the practice of doing is prepping your children before a change happens. Some people are like, okay, pack up your stuff. We're going to go blah, blah, blah. Your children are a lot like adults in the sense that sometimes change, especially rapid change, is hard to digest. And for you, it may not be such a big deal for them to have to pack up their stuff immediately and go to grandma's. But for them, it might be the biggest deal in the world. And let me give you an example. This was actually quite funny. When the twins were toddlers, and again, I'm going back to the toddler stage when we're talking about grade school children, but it applies to this and it's actually a very good and, and slightly funny example. But when the, to- when the twins were toddlers, um, their father would come home from work and they would hide or they would cry. And it's kind of a strange response. He wasn't a violent man. He loved spending time with his kids. Um, But the thing was, is they weren't ready for that transition yet. And so what we decided to do is that, you know, a few minutes before he would come home, I would say, "Okay, guys, uh, your dad's going to be home in an hour. And then 30 minutes would go by. Dad's going to be home in 30 minutes okay, dad's going to be home in about five minutes. And this actually ended up helping them to have an understanding of time. Initially, this doesn't help because they have no idea what you're talking about. And as they get older, they'll be like, well, how long is 30 minutes? Well, it could be the segment of one of their TV shows, right? So it helps them to understand as they get a little bit older the concept of time. But also what this does is it prevents, too, even in the, the younger years, those baby meltdowns we were talking about, those temper tantrums. In older children, it helps with um, their inclination to resist. They've had adequate Um, preparation time, uh, warning, you might call it, to prepare mentally or even physically for something that's about to happen. Now, when we told the children, the twins, when we started doing the countdowns, what would happen is they would turn it into a fun game. So when I said it's about five minutes, they're like, tell us when dad's about to be home. They would start washing out the window for him. And as soon as they saw him pull in the driveway, they would turn it into a hide and seek game. And they started looking forward to him coming home because it was no longer just a surprise. And that's actually what the problem was, is not that they didn't want to see their dad. It's that They were having problems with the transition of being with me all day versus, okay, it's time for another adult to come home now. So I know that sounds a little weird and a little bit funny, and all kids do their own little quirky things, but sometimes they do need that little countdown. They need time to prepare for something that's about to happen. So give them that time to adjust. Um, Help them with the transition if you can. Another thing that we as parents do sometimes is we set unrealistic expectations of our children, and a lot of this is in the realm of communication. We expect them to understand or to be able to perform outside of their maturity, their comfort level, or their realm of understanding. Have you ever seen a new parent try to tell an infant to stop crying? and they actually like try to put them in timeout or spank them for crying. Um, This is kind of what I'm talking about. It's just completely outside of the baby's realm of understanding or even capability to do what the parent is asking them to do. And it's not realistic to put an infant for crying in timeout. That doesn't make any sense. They don't understand what you're doing. In fact, crying, in most cases, is their only form of communication. It does no good to punish them for something that they do innately by nature. Another example of this might be that you put your toddler or young age child in timeout and expect them to stay there without any kind of supervision the first few times that you do this. That's unrealistic. You're going to have to stand there and watch. You're going to have to make sure they're not getting up and playing. You're going to have to make sure they're not getting up and leaving the room entirely or hiding from you. You're going to have to do the hard work, and that means standing there, making sure that their punishment is fulfilled. Is this a drag as a parent? Absolutely. Sometimes the worst part about being the parent is having to follow through because it's a tedious job and no one wants to do it. But ironically, when we don't follow through, guess what? The kids realize that we're kind of bad about enforcing things. And so they play that to their advantage because you may say one thing, but they know that you're going to fold. And that shows inconsistency. And yesterday I'd mentioned that, that one of our roles as parents is to stay consistent. If you say something, do it. If you give these children boundaries, you have to enforce the boundaries, even if you don't want to. I remember one time that we had told the boys when they were in grade school, all four of them, that we were going to go to the Renaissance Festival in Kansas City, which is a big deal. I love going. The boys love going. But something happened and I really don't remember what it was, but I had warned them that if, you know, this, this occurred, they weren't able to behave or they weren't able to get along or if they fought during the week, I don't even remember what it was, that we would not be going. And ironically, it happened and I had to be the bad mom and I had to say, okay, well, we're not going. And they knew that I meant what I said. Now, their father was like, oh, that's such a harsh punishment. I really want to go. And as parents, yeah, we want to go do these fun things, too. Um, because, I mean, our life isn't over when we have children. There's, there's events and things that we want to do. Sometimes it is required that we as parents miss out on fun things, too. Now, I could have really stuck it to him and got a babysitter and their dad and I go. Um, but that's not what happened. We all ended up staying home that weekend instead. And I think that that was the other thing, too, that they realized that when they mess up, then it's not just them sometimes that has the consequence it affects other people as well, which can also be a very good lesson for children to learn that the consequences don't just apply to them, that their actions can sometimes in turn affect or hurt potentially other people. And that brings me to another good point. As parents, we have to set boundaries and guidelines for our children. It's not in our best interest to wait till the children behave and then just act irrational or to blow up. Uh, What needs to happen is we sometimes have to anticipate, you know, bad behavior. Sometimes that's easy to do if it's a repeat offense. And we need to set expectations for the children, but then there also has to be known consequences. It can't be you're gonna mind me or else. No, tell them what the or else is. And you have to make sure that it coincides with whatever their currency is, whatever it is that they hold of value. It's not going to implement any kind of a punishment if you take away something that they don't like to do. It's only going to make an impact when you find out what it is that they hold a value and those things end up being taken away because of, you know, poor behavior, poor judgment, or just some sort of a retaliation <laughs> in some cases. So make sure that it's something that the children know ahead of time. If I do this This is the consequence. This is the outcome. And if you change that, you need to let them know ahead of time. You can't just keep throwing punishment on top of punishment on top of punishment because then the kids don't think this is realistic either. They see you as some sort of an unrealistic tyrant that can't really be approached. It's not, not only is it a bad look, but it also creates this this feeling that mom and dad are just crazy, like they they they've lost their minds, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know, you can you can up the ante and you can change the punishment. And just let them know, hey, this is what's going to happen next time you do this. We're not going to start down here at this lower level anymore because this is a repeat offense, and you know the severity of it up the ante, but make sure that they know what that ante is so that they know what's at stake and they know what they're going to lose. And then they have to decide in their mind whether or not the punishment is actually worth the action. After an offense is made and you have to enforce the punishment, it's important to go back to them and talk to them about the offense, why the punishment was enforced, what they learned from it, what the expectation is for them next time. And then you have to give it back to them and say, I want to know maybe why you did this. Or I want to know when this situation comes up again, what your course of action is going to be. You have to get into a position where you're giving this back to the child and having them seriously think about the cause and the effect. Make them break it down. Make them atone for this. Make them talk it through so that it makes sense to them. Because sometimes words have power, and if they're talking through what they did, you might actually find out that there's a different underlining reason as to why they did this in the first place, which is also super crucial as a parent. We need all those context clues. We need pieces to the puzzle in order to parent effectively. If we have a repeat offense and we have no idea why this continues, but it will not stop, there's typically an underlining reason. We just haven't discovered what it is yet, but not talking to our child about it does nothing. The repeat offense will just continue and in fact the severity may continue as well and then you're caught in an endless cycle, a never-ending loop where the child isn't learning and all you're doing is becoming more and more frustrated. So the grade school age children start to realize that there are fun things to do that require gifts and talents and creativity could be that they show an interest in art or music, photography, dance, all kinds of things at these ages. It's important as parents that we support them in whatever it is they want to do. Whatever it is that they show creativity in, Um, they could say that they're going to be president of the United States. They can say they're going to be an astronaut. They can say they're going to be an anteater hunter in South Africa. It does not matter what your child wants to be at this age. Our role is to encourage them. The world outside your home will discourage them in every way, shape, form, and fashion. Our job as parents is to uplift them. They don't have to be realistic at this age. In fact, that hinders their evolution, their progression, and their maturity level if you're constantly telling them, no, you can't do that. No, there's no money in that. Pick something that's going to be lucrative when you grow up. Do this instead. Stop doing that. That does nothing but beat down your child. Stop doing that one of the reasons it's okay for your child to dream and to fantasize about doing all of these wild and crazy amazing things is that it changes. And as parents, we need to understand it's going to change. My children, probably each growing up through just the grade school period, each had four or five different occupations they said they were going to be until they hit junior high. And then it changed again. And then in high school, guess what? It changed again. And now that I've got two in college, they're still trying to discover what exactly it is that they want. But they have a better idea now because they were able to try a bunch of different things before they got into college. They were able to experiment with their hands, they were able to experiment with their freedom of expression, and creativity to discover what they can do, what their spectrum of creativity is, where their skills lie. If you don't allow them that room for creativity, they will constantly grow up wondering what they're good at, or even worse than that, thinking that they're not good at anything, and so they just stop trying and they give up altogether. The second reason that we as parents encourage our children to try all of the things that they're interested in as young children is that you have no idea what kind of career those could blossom into as they grow older. I have one son who is now in the BFA program in a competitive dance program at a college and he is loving it. Uh, Additionally, that same child, and I mentioned yesterday teaching your young children sign language, this same child of mine is going into college, into the American Sign Language program as a second language. And he already knows some of the basic words to get started. So he feels like he's got a leg up in this. His twin brother is also going to college for engineering. And when he was younger, we used to go to the thrift store and we used to pick out items that we could make costumes out of for Halloween. And this was such an impact in his life that he still does this today. He goes to cosplay events. He creates uh, lightsabers and other weaponry for performance. He creates costumes. He is—he uh, has his own YouTube channel now where he teaches people how to do uh, combat for films and for acting, core- choreography in that sense, and he creates uh, and sells lightsabers now. He's been asked to come to many cosplay events for free as long as he will do demonstrations. He loves doing this, and guess what? It co- coincides with the engineering program that he is going to college for, So it gave him the confidence to go into electrical engineering and to learn more things there because we already had the safe environment at home where he was able to practice those things. And of course, when they start out and they're little, they have supervision. And then you give them a little bit more freedom plus a little bit more responsibility as they get older. Giving children responsibilities are key in them developing a good sense of self and self-worth and how they fit into your family and the community. And it starts out with little things like feeding the pet or cleaning up their own dishes or helping prepare a meal. But then it can go into much larger things. And the children really respect that you respect them enough to give them that responsibility. And don't just offload it on them like it's a chore. Let them know that their role is an important part of your family and explain to them why. Let them know what happens if this doesn't get done and who has to take up the slack if this, this child um, wasn't available to help with this chore. Because they understand when you do that that the role has merit. It's an important integral part of the family as a whole. And contributing means that they are a valuable part of your family. Refusing to give a child any kind of responsibility pretty much says you don't want their help and you don't care whether they're there to help you or not. And sometimes they feel a little lost. Um, They also can learn to take advantage and disrespect the fact that someone will always be there to take care of them and to clean up after them. And so they miss out on learning some very valuable life skills. Incorporate the daily chores and life skills into your communication with your children. Yesterday, I mentioned that bedtime was a great time to talk to your children, uh, and reading to them helped with their vocabulary. Grade school children can start reading to you at this age. And what we did, what I did to transition the children is that I would read a little bit of a book. And then they would read a little bit of their book. So I could have something that had a little bit more advanced vocabulary in it. And then they could read me something that they had been practicing. And this helped with their skills. But they could also mirror what the adult was doing. Because ultimately what they want is to be able to read at an adult level. And so in a way, you're bringing them up to your level a little bit at a time. Plus, you'll be there to help out with any difficult vocabulary words as they arise. Bedtime and dinnertime will always continue to be a great time to ask the children about their day. And this just isn't so they can rattle off, oh, everything was fine, my day was boring. Really get down to what made it boring. If you said you did nothing today, what does that look like? You know, have the kids explain to you what their day looked like, who they interacted with, not because you're being nosy, it's because this builds... That bond with your child. It becomes easier and easier as they get older to come home and tell you about their day if they believe you're actually interested. So show interest in what your children are doing at school, show interest in their social life, show interest in what they're learning academically, learn right along with them, help them with their homework. If they don't need help, have them teach you what they're doing so that not only is this an exercise in building their communication skills, but it also emphasizes what they've learned. And by teaching it to you, they practice it twice. They did it once when they did the homework, they do it a second time when they're demonstrating the skill to you, and it just makes those skills twice as strong. The second reason why we have children talk to us about their life in school is so that they can express to you or learn to express to you their emotions and how they're feeling. As a parent, it is our responsibility to help them identify what they're feeling and then to work through that process of dealing with those emotions. If they don't tell us how they're feeling, then we can't help them with that process. In addition to that, they will continue to have problems identifying and processing their own feelings and emotions as they get older, which can cause a lot of stress, anxiety, and anger issues clear into adulthood. Remember, we are setting up a foundation for these children to become well-rounded, acclimated adults that can handle living in the world that we live in now. In addition, they have to be able to communicate to everyone, including the older generation, how they feel and what changes they want to make in the world. Because the problems we're facing right now are not just our problems. They are everyone's problems. And like I mentioned yesterday, their feelings, their emotions, their opinions, they matter. They're valid. They're just as valid as yours are. And you need to take that into consideration when you're having these conversations with your children. Make sure that they understand that they have a voice and it's okay if they use it, but they have to use it in an appropriate way. As parents, we set the bar for how emotions are processed and how communication takes place in our home. We are the example that is set and we are what they will mimic out in public and in their own personal home life. We want to make sure that it works to their higher vibration as well as it is in ours when we demonstrate that. Let's talk for a brief moment about what we do when things do go south. Uh, Let's say we're no longer having baby meltdowns. We're having, you know, grade school meltdowns. And sometimes it's appropriate to give the child space so that they can process what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And they have a safe place to do that. It could be their bedroom. It could be a bathroom. It could be any place that they feel safe and they take some time to do this. It is never okay or appropriate for your child to swear at you. It is never appropriate for them to call you names. It is never appropriate for them to yell at you. And if they are doing that, then you need to look at your behavior and find out if that's a way that you treat them. Are you calling them names? Are you disrespecting them? Are you yelling at them? Because this is something that they see as being acceptable and that they learned it from you. Now, if this is a problem, maybe you have done this in the past, you have to curb this and this is how you do this. First of all, you admit to your child that you did this and that it was wrong. You apologize for the misbehavior and you let them know that you have taken steps to make sure that it doesn't happen again. On your end, what that means is you've decided that when you're heated, you're taking a mommy or daddy timeout. Even if that means you've got to go to your room and close the door, scream into the pillow, punch the mattress, whatever it is you need to do, you are not taking it out on your children. So you let your child know that there are things in place now where you're going to raise yourself to a higher level and you refuse, absolutely refuse to treat them in that manner ever again. And here is the caveat. They have to agree to not do that to you anymore. And you are going to teach them appropriate ways to use their words and to express their emotions without those negative things such as yelling, calling names, disrespecting. This is also true if there are physical behaviors being set, such as things being thrown, people hitting, biting, slamming doors. All of those are unacceptable with mature communication. And I understand we're dealing with juvenile youth at this point but none of them have to act that way. The other thing that you have to let them know is that that behavior and communication will not be accepted and that until they calm down, you will not talk to them about whatever the problem is. So they have to let those emotions ebb and flow until they are ready to come back and to use intellectual and mature conversation techniques in order to continue the conversation. I can tell you that with raising four boys, it's not always easy to have a peaceful home. But one of the rules that I instated when they were very young is that they couldn't call each other names and there was absolutely no hurting, physically hurting any of them. And honestly, I've only had problems with one out of the four boys ever being physically violent towards his siblings. And as far as the name calling goes, I immediately would stop whatever was going on. Uh, If it's an activity such as playing video games, for example, if there's any name calling, the boys know that the video games get turned off. And we're done. We're absolutely done video gaming. And whoever was disrespecting the other brother, in this case, name-calling, he had to apologize. And if he refused to apologize, there was an additional consequence. Um, For someone who's being physically hurtful, if they can't be trusted to be around other people, then they have to be alone. They're not allowed to participate in the games and activities that the other family is until they can learn to control their physical body. And in addition to that, I have to take the extra step and teach them appropriate ways of physically behaving. And when they have urges to be violent, what they can do with those urges. Again, this is a part of being parents. This is a part of being educators. We have to take the extra step. We have to go the extra mile because what we teach our children essentially has lifelong altering effects. One of the other things that I've learned from raising my sons is that you always talk to them like adults. You don't talk down to them. You don't talk to them in a way that is demeaning or degrading, patronizing in a way that they're stupid and they can't understand you. Raise the bar. Talk to them like little adults and they will behave like little adults. Again, you, you don't want to swear at them or treat them like, you know, your drinking buddies on a Friday. But if you talk to them in a respectful manner, like, I am talking to you right now. This is how I would talk to my sons. Even when they were little, Um, I would come down to their eye level and we would have a little chat. I don't talk down to them. I don't degrade them. I let them have their chance to speak. And that's also very, very important in validating your child's emotions, and their communication, you want to be a listener. You want to give them the stage to express themselves. If you don't do that, that causes more harm and damage going forward. And sometimes they will retaliate in physical ways if they don't feel like they can talk to you verbally. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather have the verbal communication than them, I don't know, taking apart the sheetrock in their bedroom, for example. Um, so giving them the stage and being an active listener and not interrupting them is crucial. Additionally, you want to ask clarifying questions. When they say that they're upset about something or this bothered them, ask them, why did that bother you? Or what exactly was it that made you feel that way? Or What should we have done differently? Put it back to them. I've actually done that too when it's time to enforce a punishment. If one of my sons questioned that and didn't think that was a fair punishment, I would repeat what the offense was. And I would say, this is my role as a mother. What do you think I should have done? And when you make them think about it, then they have a better understanding, especially when you want them to learn empathy for the other side. This is important too, when your child has done an offense to another child, maybe even not their sibling. Um, It could even be another adult. It doesn't really matter the age, but when the child has done something that has hurt or offended someone else, it's important for them to understand what that other person might be going through after the offense has taken place. So let's say for an example, someone took a pencil And poked another child with it. You ask the first child, How do you think that felt getting stuck by that pencil? You know, what do you think that child is thinking about you right now? What do you think he is feeling? And then the children, when you put it back into their eyes and start questioning them, they have to start thinking, oh, well, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me doing something. I don't live in this little bubble where everything just affects me. And this also helps them to understand punishments as well. And I mentioned this yesterday too. You don't want them to think that a punishment is strictly linear and that it's a cause and effect basis that only affects them. You want them to understand that what they do is circular or spirals and that it can affect multiple people in multiple ways and this isn't to enforce a guilt trip this is for them to understand the ripple effect uh, and that everybody has a role to play in this world and it's not just about them or the person they offended or the person who's dishing out the punishment that there is a system in place and that everyone plays a role. I cannot emphasize enough that there are millions of ways to teach children just by the things that we think are linear or simplistic in nature. There are a multitude of lessons that can be taught from something very, very tiny if only we take the opportunity to teach I think we'll go ahead and stop there for now. I'm really hoping that I'm not coming off as too preachy. Um, I know that sometimes parents talking to other parents can seem a little weird, especially when you already have uh, parenting protocols set into place. Um, and so I understand. Um, I'm not someone who is easily offended. If you have comments about the podcast today, please let me know. And again, this is just examples of things that have gone on for me and, and things that I know have worked for me. Uh, I not only raised my children, but I watched several children, I helped raise other children, and I was part of a youth program in a church for a really long time. And so these are things, well, and I also helped out with the Boy Scouts of America, too. So there's these are things that I've picked up on uh, through years and years of experience working with children. And I know that there are educators out there who have had similar experiences, and they can say, oh, yeah, that worked, or no, that didn't work for me. And that's fine. I mean, everyone has their own experiences and, and tricks of the trade that work for them. So again, I'm not offended if if you're just like, well, that doesn't doesn't resonate with me. Again, everyone's truth is is a little different. Um, So if you found this interesting, please um, let me know what your thoughts are. I would love some feedback. And tomorrow we will continue the discussion as we tackle the teenage years and some things that I have learned from my sons and their friends and some of the youth girls that I took care of in church. And we will go from there. And if you are in the market for some great teas, please check out my website at www.bahatiteacompany.com. Bahati is B-A-H-A-T-I. And until next time, own your truth.